This is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Josh Pickford of Bear Metrics fame and quite a few other projects that led up to that as we discussed his uh, long and winding journey through entrepreneurship. Josh is really an interesting guy and he's got a really interesting story. I'm sure most of my listeners are familiar with him, at least in recent years, but we talked a lot more about years past, you know, where he came from and how he uh, built up his entrepreneurial skill set, if you will. I, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Josh is kind of one of these like jack of all trades or maybe a better way to put it would be the, in baseball, like a five tool player, you know, just really can execute really well on like the design, development, marketing, business side of things, tech, you know, you name it. I think there are very, very few people who can truly execute really well, or as we talked about, really learn or figure out how to execute as a means to an end as Josh has been able to do. So it was just a really interesting chat that I had with Josh. So I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it. So here you go. Here's my chat with Josh Pickford. Enjoy. All right. So I'm here with Josh Pickford. Josh, how's it going? Going good, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I'm sure most of my listeners know who you are, been following your stuff. But if you're new to the Josh Pigford story, why don't you tell us about Bear Metrics and all the rest of it? Yep. So Bear Metrics is a revenue analytics platform. So um, right now we're focused specifically on subscription businesses. Then you can connect your Stripe, Braintree, Recurly, et cetera, account. And then we'll spit out monthly recurring revenue, lifetime value, churn, a couple dozen different metrics and let you deep dive and all that stuff, but with pretty minimal setup on your part. Yeah. You know, I remember when you launched a few years back and now there are so many of these like metrics and analytics tools. And as you know, you've got plenty of competitors, but I believe like the very first one to do that magical, like one click into your Stripe account, you've got your metrics all there for you. And when I saw that, it was awesome, you know? Yeah. 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 So uh, how many years has it been since the launch of Bear Metrics now? It's been nearly four. So it was, uh, I started working on it October, 2013. And so today, obviously, you guys have grown a bunch and you've grown beyond Stripe. You, you know, you work with Braintree and a bunch of other platforms as well. And uh, I believe your feature set has really grown as well. It's not just the metrics. You're doing all sorts of pretty cool stuff in there. So I'm excited to talk to you here today because I, I feel like you're like a true jack of all trades and not just in like the CEO sense, like you obviously you're running a company, so you're doing everything anyway. And there's a lot of people who think of themselves as jack of all trades, but I, I feel like you actually come at this with just a, an ability to execute on so many different fronts that most other founders I don't think have. I mean, from the design side to the technical side to marketing and just entrepreneurship in general, I, I've been really just impressed with your ability. You know, like in baseball, they call it like a five-tool player, right? Like that's how I kind of think of you. <laughs> well, how do you think about that? And like, I guess I'm kind of curious about like today, your role in bare metrics, where do you kind of spend the most time and energy in the business today? Yeah. So uh, at this point, I mean, like today it's mostly like marketing sales kind of stuff, plus the sort of, I don't know, you, you could call it like CEO kind of stuff. So that's like one-on-ones with each person on the team and like making everybody's happy and has what they need and that I'm not like a bottleneck for anything. So it's a mixture of those two things. I mean, the, the main role that I have not hired out for would be like marketing and some sales stuff. So pretty much anything else I've We've got somebody on the team who handles that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's where it's at right now. I mean, now in six months, you know, or 12 months or whatever, that marketing and sales stuff, I may not do anymore, just depending on if we hire for that. But that's kind of where it stands at the moment. 
Yeah, cool. In this interview, I definitely want to start to go back and hear more of the backstory and how things came together and how you got to where you are today. Um, before we do that, I guess I still want to kind of focus on what's happening right now. So we're recording this, you know, near the middle of 2017. Barometrics has been around about four years. So what's happening like this year right now in Barometrics and what do you see coming up in the next few months? Yeah, so we've been really focused for the past year, really. So initially, we're primarily focused on getting to profitability, which is kind of a whole story in and of itself, but we hit that in January. And so now we've been focused on sort of the product side. Like the the deal with Barometrics, and this was I knew this the day that like Barometrics launched almost four years ago, um, is that we've kind of like we've limited ourselves in a way that I knew would become problematic at some point. And I think I probably waited too long, not too long, but I mean I waited longer than I should have to tackle it. But I mean you think of like bare metrics day one is not just like analytics for Stripe and not even just analytics for SaaS companies on Stripe. It's analytics for SaaS companies on Stripe who are appropriately using the Stripe API. So like that funnels down to be a very specific group of people. When you say using Stripe, do you mean using specifically like their subscriptions plans? Correct. because So there's a lot of people who use like a third-party thing on top of Stripe. And Stripe is basically like a dumb payment gateway that just processes charges. And like we can't give anything from that. Like you have to use Stripe's API and specifically like their subscription API. And then past that, like there's plenty of people who use a subscription API, but like they do just insane things like creating a, a plan for every single customer. So you've got 10,000 customers. Well, you've got 10,000 plans in Stripe. Like people just do these crazy things. So... All of those things are these like qualifiers that just reduce the number of people who can use the product. And all that to say, I mean, so what we've been focused on for the past, especially the past year, is expanding who we can support. So that's expanding to other payment processors, so Braintree, Recurly, Chargeify, et cetera. Um, that's adding our own API. So like you can just skip all of that. And you know, if you're doing some crazy stuff with those APIs, um, okay, well, fine. You can still send us the data we need directly. So that's what we've been focused on. And then simultaneously expanding the value proposition that Barometrics has. So, you know, you mentioned almost four years ago, like there wasn't anybody else who was doing this sort of one-click thing. It really wasn't even possible. Like Stripe was really like the first player that made that a doable thing. Just happened to be, whatever, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years and like had all these different software products and I was just happened to be right place, right time. So like that wasn't a possibility or had not been a possibility four years ago, but now it's like commonplace, right? So like Braintree and Recurly and all the others like caught up with Stripe and are doing have similar API endpoints and the ability to connect with relatively low hassle. So like things like analytics or, or metrics and all these like MRR and lifetime value and all this stuff are more accessible now than they were four years ago. So it becomes more competitive. Right, right, right. And, and you have to do more, which I mean, it makes sense, right? Like for the product itself to become more valuable over time. So we've been doing things to increase the value of bare metrics. And that includes doing things outside of just graphs and numbers. I mean, I think that's kind of natural, right? I mean, as the market matures, right? As all the different players come into it, there are more customers, more specific needs. But I think as a company for bare metrics, it may, I don't necessarily see that as being too late to move on something like that, because in order to gain that early traction, it was it had to be so simple and solve a specific pain. Yep. So, I mean, the other thing that I, you know, you touched on it for a second there, when I think about your story, you know, as we start to move back in time, like, 
Bear Metrics, you've been pretty focused on this for the last four years, or at least it seems. Uh, but before then, I thought of you as this like serial entrepreneur doing all sorts of projects like every year up to something different. So it seems like you basically kind of settled into Bear Metrics for the long haul. I mean, obviously, you know, it's probably still a relatively young company and I'm sure you'll do a thousand more things going forward. But like, how do you think about that transition? Like, and maybe I'm totally off base there, but that's my perception of it. Was that a conscious decision? Like when you started to launch Barometrics, was like, this is something that I really want to sink into for several years, or this is just yet another idea I'm going to throw at the wall and it just happened to gain more traction than, than other stuff? When I started, I had zero intention of, of like ever saying, I'm going to build a company around this. Um, you know, I've, like I said, I've been an entrepreneur for the better part of 15 years. So it's like, and I've always like diversified. I've always had lots of different sort of balls in the air. And that's been somewhat intentional in that I have varied interests in business and not business. I mean, I, there's just lots of things that I, um, I'm interested in learning about or learning how to do. So it's always been really fun for me to try lots of different types of businesses in lots of different industries. So when I launched Bear Metrics, I mean, I, I was doing consulting stuff, design development stuff, and then also had two other SaaS products and then like a couple of other what would be considered like side projects of that. I mean, like, there's just lots of little things going. And for Barometrics, was, it was me scratching the itch that I had for the other SaaS products I had. I, just ne I needed those sort of metrics. So I was just going to build this thing myself. And there, there wasn't anything else out there at the time. So I figured I'd launch this thing. And then you know, in a year, Stripe would launch their own analytics thing or they would buy Barometrics or something. I mean, I didn't have any specific outcome I was after. I just assumed it would not last that long. Um, that's kind of what I went into it with. Yeah. So like what changed after that and what happened after you launched and when did it start to be like, oh, this might become a bigger chunk of my time and focus than, than I expected? Yeah. So about, um, let's see, like four or five months after Barometrics launched, the revenue that it was making had surpassed the revenue from the other SaaS products I had that I had, I had spent like two plus years on those. And so when Barometrics surpassed what had been two years worth of work on these other SaaS products, and it had done it in just a few months, at that point it was like, well, I've, here's the thing that's clearly moving much faster than stuff that I had done in the past. And so at that point, it was just a, an economics thing. Like it was once Barometrics could support the salary that I needed uh, to support my family, then it was like, okay, I'll stop doing the other stuff and we'll focus on this one thing and see what happens. Very cool. And, um, you know, another kind of theme that I know you've written about recently, it definitely resonated with me, is uh, being a solo founder. So, I mean, you are basically totally solo. You started Barometrics on your own and as well as your previous companies too, or? Um, so Barometrics, yes, I started solo. The two SaaS products that I had going that I, I had built Barometrics for, I had a couple of co-founders on those. But then the stuff before that, I'd always been solo as well. Let's kind of just go back. Like, where are you based today? Where did you come from? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Mississippi, went all the way through college, lived in Mississippi, and then uh, got married in 2005, uh, also graduated from college then. And then my wife and I moved to Denver, Colorado, just for kicks. Lived out there for about five years and then had our first kid moved to uh, where we are now, which is Birmingham, Alabama. Very nice. And how many kids do you have? I've got three kids. Oh, it's a handful. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, when you were, you know, I, I like to ask that cheesy question, like when you were younger, growing up, like what did you see yourself getting into? I guess more specific, as you get into thinking about an actual career, like high school, college, did you expect to be on your own entrepreneurship? Was that in your future or were you like not thinking about that? I, I mean, 
as a kid, I was always, I guess I would say entrepreneurial in the sense that, I mean, I was the kid who was like setting up lemonade stands and like cutting yards and like figuring out how to make money. And like, that was fun for me. But I was also the kid who loved to make things and like build things. So it's like, I think the combination of those two things resulted in me like not knowing what I wanted to do from a s- education standpoint, but just knowing like I needed to make something and I feel like I could probably also figure out how to make money from making something. So like when I started college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I mean, in, in hindsight, like I just shouldn't have gone to college when I did or at all. I mean, I, you know, I think it was just one of those, well, that's what you do. You go to graduate high school and you go to college. So when I started college, that was 2001, I think. I, I mean, I was a what did I start in? I'm like, I, maybe it was like computer science. I was probably in a dozen different majors over the course of my college career. But two years in, I was, oh yeah, I was a communications major. I mean, I had like, I don't know, I was in my head had thought I was going to like work in radio or something. I was big into music. So I was a communications major. And one of the classes that I had to take was like intro to graphic design or something. And turned out I was pretty decent at it. And uh, the art professor that taught that intro class was like, he convinced me to switch majors. So I did. And then I, that's what I ended up graduating with was a graphic design degree. I, I majored in business for a semester and failed it terribly. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe that tells you something. I don't know. But the traditional business route from an education standpoint was not my bag at all. But the graphic design thing was like that was um, for me it was like making, uh, you know, I was into making things like I had I had started making websites even as a kid in high school. And so the design stuff and like the art side of it, like I wasn't an artsy kid, but I just again, like, I just liked making stuff. And then when you like mix in the computer aspect of it, which I was super nerdy and in, into anyways, it was a good it was a really good fit for me. So the design side work, worked out well. Totally. I think I have a lot in common with you, especially going back to those years as well. I mean, you know, tickering around with HTML and early websites in high school and, and college. And then, yeah, like I, I remember, you know, bouncing around different majors, not really knowing what to do. I basically went to school for music production and audio engineering and everything. And I remember taking, you know, like a, a graphic design class elective and really enjoying that, but not really going any further than that in terms of education. Um, business had like one elective in it, it just wasn't interested in, in it at all. And I also had for a little while, I was in kind of like a something related to computer science and did like a, a class or two and then didn't really take that any further. But like looking back on it, I wish that I really went down the path of, of either design or development programming. And like, I feel like design is something that I've I've been able to like struggle through getting better at over the years through my work and kind of just forcing myself to to focus on design and getting better. But development is still that hurdle where it's like I know enough to make a decent like marketing site, but if I need to code up my own app, I mean that's just not going to happen. So how did you like what were the skill sets that you kind of had early on in, in your early years of being on your own and building things like were you able to do both the coding and design side or what were you focused on? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like the very first version of bare metrics, I did the whole thing like back end, front end design. I mean, literally everything. And I had been from a consulting standpoint, even had been doing a lot of towards the end of my consulting career, but basically right up until bare metrics, uh, I was almost doing only um, like backend work. So the, I think like skill set stuff, you know, I, in high school, so this is like late nineties, I had already started like picking up making websites and stuff. And so that was sort of my first taste of 
programming. And for me, almost any skill that I have in skill, what would like be a generous term? Like I, I don't, I don't like consider myself a great designer or a great developer, but for me, like acquiring a given skill has been about like, it's a means to an end. Like I had an idea for something and I needed to figure out how to make that idea a reality. So if I needed to pick up a new skill set, fine. So be it. Like, and I enjoy that process too. For me, that's why like the, you know, earlier you mentioned the whole jack of all trades thing. Like for me being the jack of all trades and like expanding how many trades I am a jack of is a really enjoyable process for me. I mean, I, I thoroughly love learning how to do something new. And so this, you know, being an entrepreneur is kind of like the best thing possible because you have to figure out how to do all sorts of things. And you don't necessarily have to become really great at any of them. You know, like eventually you just hire someone else to do it who is fantastic at it. But if you could, like figure out enough to get an MVP together or just a, a To get a the ball rolling, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the whole entrepreneur thing and software and whatever. All of those things were about, there's just lots of different steps to me figuring out how to do it. I mean, you know, I've launched lots of non-software products, but that required like some software knowledge. And like, to me, coding is one of those things that, you know, nowadays is sort of like you need to be able to use a word processor. Like, like that's the thing that people, you know, feel like everybody has to be able to know is like on the base levels, like how to type something on a computer was the thing 10 years ago or whatever. And like now it's like you need to be able to code something. It's just sort of this, it's like the language of computers and you need to be able to figure out how to speak it on some level. So I, I did that years and years and years ago. And it, for whatever reason, it stuck for me. So. Totally. I think it's interesting because there's this, I don't know, like a friction that a lot of, at least I feel it when I, or I hear this common, you know, people preaching about like best practices for entrepreneurs. Like you got to focus on your strengths and delegate and outsource everything else. Like it's not wise to use your time on things that you're just not the best person to do. But I think that there's not enough of looking at it as you just described, of like taking the time to just figure something out in order to be able to build something, even if it means you have to kind of like figure out and learn and build yourself a new skill that you didn't have before. Yeah, it's going to take more hours, more days, you know, but it's definitely worth it. And for myself, I mean, I thoroughly enjoy that process as well. And I do wish that I had spent more time early on really learning to code. I mean, instead, I spent more time on the design side. But at this point, I feel like I do hit a wall where it's like, you know, I have got this idea for an app. I just have to hire someone because I can't really start it. And that's tricky. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. No, I was gonna say, um, I, I think like having this base level of tools in the toolbox kind of thing is important. So I do basically zero coding on the bare metrics app at this point, which is it should be that way. Now, if I could do anything, I basically just break things if I touch it. But like, I still do some random things that involve coding so that I don't completely lose that skill set or whatever. I mean, like, I'm kind of big into like hobby electronic stuff. So Arduino and just like building these like random electronic things. But that requires some coding to do that kind of stuff. And I think like maintaining these like random skill sets is important for not only just so that I can like make some idea become a reality, but also so that I can continue on some level to relate to people who are like whether that's our designers at Bear Metrics or engineers or I mean in the product process as a whole, like having a better understanding of how all the things work, I think makes ultimately for a better in product. So take us back, like what were some of the earlier projects or entrepreneurial things that you were launching? Oh man. Um, 
I was looking at your, your personal site today. You, you got a nice list there. Like you put it all right there on the page in, in a like chronological order. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's even that list is like not thorough. Um, right. That's just the stuff that saw the light of day. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. I mean, there's all sorts of things like, I mean, everything from just like fan sites of like bands I was into in high school. I tried to start this like online sort of a magazine kind of thing. It was like, I like to think it was just before it's time, but it was sort of like webzine kind of thing for artists and like all sorts of just weird things. But eventually I think the things that probably stuck the most from early on were like, there was um, this thing called the Apple blog, which is like uh, basically just a, blog about Apple stuff, surprisingly. And it got acquired by another tech publication. And that was like, that was an interesting experience. And um, then there was like an e-commerce site for collectible toys. Um, that was a ton of fun. All right. Wait, wait a minute. I, I don't want to really gloss over that too quickly, though. So you, you had some like kind of web magazine stuff about different topics, but one was about Apple, which eventually got acquired. So like, does that mean that you were actually like writing and reporting on Apple News on a regular basis for a time there? Or well, no, I was more, I started the thing, but like I convinced people to write for it for free. So like I, I was like the entrepreneurial guy sort of steering the ship, but I mean, I'm, I certainly not like a reporter or even have any sort of that in my background. Like I enjoy writing now for bare metrics, but I didn't necessarily enjoy writing about Apple stuff. Uh, I always found other, like, other people to write about it because I just liked running the business side of it. And I guess early on, like, were you kind of solo working on projects and then you eventually started like hiring out and partnering and collaborating with different people? Like, what did your teams look like early on and how did you get into that whole side of it? Well, so like the Apple blog. So that started off, that was just me, uh, you know, then I'd post on some message boards asking if anybody wanted to write on this new blog that I was starting. Surprisingly, people said yes and would write for free or for the occasional like free weird gadget that they would get to review or something. You know, I'd, I'd cut checks per article kind of thing. But up until it got acquired, it was still just me and then a whole team of freelance writers. Then eventually I had a little bit larger team on the Apple blog. I was still doing like the sort of entrepreneurial side of it, but had a little bit bigger team because we were part of a larger tech publication at that point. Then somewhere in the middle of all that, I started the e-commerce site, the toy store. And from there, like I had two co-founders on that and was that like toys that sourced from out? Yeah, yeah. So they're called Urban Vinyl Collectibles. So I don't know. Some people are familiar with like Kid Robot. It's basically these like an artist or like a, a lot of times they were like these like graffiti artists that would also design toys, but these like collectible art kind of things. I was into collecting them in college and I always wanted to try getting into like the e-commerce stuff. So I would find all these places that would ship or sell them wholesale. So that's where like the impetus for that was, was like, I collected these things. It would be fun to have an e-commerce site. So I found two other guys who were not into collecting these things at all, but for whatever reason, decided, sure, we'll jump into a business with Josh. So pretty quickly, though, ended up buying both of them out. And my wife and I both ran the toy store for years. So, I mean, we had toys piled. I mean, these are not a drop shipping like scenario. This is we buy tons and tons of toys and they're sitting in our basement and they're like filling up your house yeah yes <laughs> like like when we first started this we were in like a little two-bedroom apartment um, when we were in colorado and so like in our bedroom would be a wall of toys like <laughs> piled up to the ceiling like we would go to sleep at night with the smell of plastic and vinyl killing our brain cells at night so nice um so like that's how that started i mean it all the way up through i started that in that was probably 2005 i think and then 
sold that business in 2008 or nine. But I mean, it turned out it was, it was a great little business. You know, like my wife, like she worked on it almost full time. And, you know, we were up until she we sold it when we had we were pregnant with our first kid. And part of that was because the economy was changing then. I mean, it was harder to sell like that kind of stuff in 2008 or so. I mean, the economy was like hitting the fan then. Yeah, it's hard to sell like a $200 piece of plastic that sits on your shelf um, right. <laughs> when, you, when you're having trouble like getting a paycheck. So anyway, so we sold that. But part of that, so an interesting story here. While we had the toy store, I'm ordering all these different toys from all over the world. Lots of, you know, especially other countries in Asia and things like that. So I needed a way to track where all these packages were coming from because any given time we could have dozens of shipments coming in, but I, I needed a way to see them all in one place. So I, I built this little tracking tool called Track the Pack. And this is pre-iPhone. Like there's lots of great iPhone apps now for this kind of thing, but like there were no iOS apps at the time. The iPhone did not even exist. Yeah. And like the e-commerce systems today, they all give you like the tracking code, like the tracking but that stuff wasn't around back then. That stuff wasn't around. And, and with the e-commerce store, there wasn't even other... These systems did not even exist. Like Shopify wasn't around. It was all just like building your own thing. So the tracking thing, I built that. Eventually shut that down. But that led to a consulting gig the, of somebody who was building this other thing that needed to make use of all these tracking APIs. And I was like the guy because I had built this tool that converses with all these carrier APIs. So those guys ended up becoming co-founders on the two SaaS products that I had that I had built bare metrics for. Wow. I'm kind of curious that throughout those years, I guess from like 2005 into 08, 09, obviously you're doing a lot of different things, different ventures are kind of starting up and you're doing some consulting work. Like from an income standpoint for you and your family, like what was kind of paying your bills? Was it the e-commerce business for a while there or like? Uh, I would say up until bare metrics, uh, my income was pretty much like 50% consulting and then 50% everything else. So like throughout all that, you're kind of doing consulting and building these businesses. Correct. And consulting was like the stable thing in the sense that it was relatively easy for me to like drum up like a $10,000 client or a $25,000 client or whatever. And so I would do that every couple of months or whatever, take on some big project, and then I would knock that out and then keep working on the other projects that I had. There are so many folks who start out and doing consulting and they kind of work and aspire towards moving to a products business. But it seems like you've been able to balance the two throughout, kind of going 50-50. Yeah. I mean, I think it's obviously, who knows in hindsight, but I mean, I always kind of wonder if I had heads down on any of the specific products and didn't also... Uh, I mean, I did the consulting stuff. A lot of that was because I just had to, like, to pay bills and stuff. But... I've always kind of wondered, like, if I had not needed to do the consulting stuff, would I have been able to make any of the other ones become more successful? Who knows? Certainly balancing all that, it's difficult to juggle that much stuff. Yep. Cool. So the other thing that just comes to mind when I think about your story, and again, it's something that I definitely relate to myself, is just this idea of shiny object syndrome, right? And I feel like <laughs> I feel like your whole story is like a, a series of shiny objects that many of them kind of worked out and led one thing into the other, which is, of course, how these things typically go. But how do you think about that? Like, And I'm sure, you know, for for your long list of products that you did work on, I'm sure there's an equally long or more, a longer list of products that you had ideas for that you never really went and did anything about, right? So um, how do you think about that idea of shiny object syndrome? Like when you should work on something, when you should drop the thing that you've been on for a while to start something new to kind of shake up your path and your focus? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I it's tough, man. I mean, I 
over over the past 20 plus years of doing stuff on the internet, I have probably owned thousands of domains of just, you know, I'd have some like dumb idea in the middle of the night and go register the domain for it. So today, the way that I kind of look at things now, when it comes to the shiny object kind of stuff, like, ooh, what about this idea? I don't do that much around business ideas anymore because Bear Metrics takes up 150% of my brain space on the business side of things. You know, I'll spend a lot of time thinking about new features for Bear Metrics, and then I spend a lot of time figuring out if those would be viable or if that makes sense. I think what keeps me from getting distracted from Bear Metrics it's like bare metrics is still working and I still enjoy it. So I think if I get to a point where I'm just bored with bare metrics, like I'm not learning anything new. It just feels really repetitive. Maybe it's not growing anymore. I, who knows? I don't know what the, the scenario would be there. But once it gets to that point where it's just not interesting anymore, I think then I'll potentially start looking elsewhere. But I mean, I'm in the bare metrics thing for the long haul. I tend to find that the shiny object ideas come about when I'm starting to get into that, like a rut in my current business that I've been in for a while, like whether it's starting to stagnate or things are more challenging and or not challenging anymore and boring. And it's like, even without consciously thinking about it, I just find new ideas that are starting to distract. But for me, the, I have lots of hobbies outside of bare metrics or business or anything like that outside of computers in general. So for me, it's still it comes down to the whole like learning thing. I need to sort of constantly be figuring out how to do something new. And the hobbies that I have sort of fill that need for me. So I'm working on like building a like this portable workbench thing right now. So like I like building furniture and woodworking and stuff. Like that sort of fills that creative void or fills in the gaps when like something with bare metrics gets like, oh, I've got to write another article, that kind of stuff where some parts do feel a little repetitive or I'm having trouble figuring out why churn increased or whatever it is. I've got something external that fills in the gaps for me. And I found that, that helps a lot. Love it. Can you remind me, is Barometrics all remote? Is your team everywhere or are you guys? Yeah. Okay. And like, what does your typical schedule look like during the day, during the week? Like you mentioned, you have all these like side interests and hobbies and you've got three kids <laughs> and you're running a growing, very popular SaaS company. So how do you manage your day and how do you actually make time for all the other interests? And, and yeah, I mean, I saw your Cedar and Sal, which looks awesome. This uh, kind of like an e-commerce. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. So like, where do you get the time to fit that kind of stuff in and how do you manage it all? So I, I stick to a pretty solid schedule on bare metrics work. So I get up, uh, summer's been hectic just because kids are outside of their routine and school and all that stuff, but school starts back next week. So we'll get back into our routine of get up at seven or whatever. Kids get ready for school. They go to school. Then I go to work by 7.30 or 8. And then I usually will work until around three or four and then call it a day as far as bare metric stuff goes. And then it's just whatever else. I mean, like that's hanging out with the kids or involving the kids in, you mentioned Cedar and Sale, like they'll help pack boxes and like get packages together. Um, or it's like building something. So you're, you're growing your own workforce over there. <laughs> right, right. Yes. <laughs> just training them up. So um, I still like do the hobbies stuff. Home automation. We just built this new house and it's like, I've been kind of geeking out on like home automation stuff. And it's like, all that stuff happens after bare metrics, typically after my like typical work day. But I try to merge, like not have it just me being off by myself and doing those things, but instead like involve the family as much as possible. I mean, I don't get to all the other hobbies and the fun stuff nearly as much as I would love to. But I mean, that's also just sort of 
how it goes with, you know, when you've got a family. Yeah. How old are your kids? Um, so they are about to be eight, 12, and then almost 15. Uh, cool. So you wrote a piece recently, Jordan and I talked about it on Bootstrapped Web about your just being a solo founder and the challenges that go with that. And I mean, I definitely resonated with that quite a bit. And you've been obviously you have a team and, and you've had investors and everything on Bear Metrics, but you've been the solo founder leader of the thing since day one. Is that right? Yeah. So what are the main challenges there that you've seen with being a solo founder? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest stuff is just it being hard to realistically bounce stuff off other people. I mean, I, you know, we're a really transparent company, both externally, but also internally as well. Like pretty much everything's open within the company. And so we talk openly within the company about lots of different things like sugarcoat things. But at the same time, it's still like my team does not have the same sort of investment into the product or the company as I do. So it's hard to like realistically like talk things out or even like honestly share the struggles that come like, especially like the mental stuff, the ups and downs of running a company. So it's not that they're like not empathetic or even that they couldn't understand some of it. It's just, they're just different headspace. So I think that's probably the biggest downside is like not having somebody who can fully relate to it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely see that as well. And like the thing that I tend to struggle with is it's hard to get the critical feedback that I need to get the pushback on ideas or show me the other side of a decision that I'm not like, show me the the blind spots. And there are some really great people on my team who can help with that kind of stuff and make suggestions. But at the end of the day, like the decision is going to come down to me and there's not going to be a lot of pushback and not in the same way as it would be if I had an equal partner. So where do you go for advice? Like, like mastermind groups and like that sort of stuff? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I started a private Slack chat with a bunch of other founders who are kind of in similar stages. So there's a group of like a couple dozen of us that hang out in a Slack chat room. It's really helpful. So that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. I guess the other question on that would be, how do you figure out roadmap and priorities? I mean, obviously there's like a feature roadmap for bare metrics, but I guess higher level than that, planning out the quarter, planning out the year in terms of the business, in terms of your personal focus on what you're working on, the trajectory of things. Like, how do you think about that? Especially as, again, like as a solo founder, like if you don't have partners or people who are equally as invested in figuring out that roadmap as you are, how do you decide like this is the best priority to be focused on? Yeah, I do feel like from a product standpoint that we've got people on the team who are like their skill set is sort of strong enough that I don't feel like we have necessarily trouble coming up with the best possible product roadmap that we could. I think we kind of have an ongoing discussion in that regard, constantly trying to figure out what are, what are our business goals. I mean, you know, I mentioned for the past year, it's been a lot about profitability. And so we made a lot of product decisions around reaching profitability. So now that we've got that, we're less focused on needing to do things that specifically just like make us a bunch of money and can play a little bit of a longer game. So that is what influences the product decision now. But I don't know, it's sort of this fluid ongoing discussion. Yeah, cool. So, um, you know, I think we'll uh, kind of leave it there. And, you know, you know, I'm just excited to see how your story and Barometrics, you know, continues to grow and evolve this year, next year, going forward. So uh, obviously, folks should go check out Barometrics.com. Uh, where else can people connect with you? Shoot me an email, josh at Barometrics.com or on Twitter at Spigford, S-H-P-I-G-F-O-R-D. Nice. Well, thanks, Josh. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. Hey, before you go, did you know that 
in my newsletter list, there's a select group of folks who receive what I call my Friday notes emails. That's where I share some behind the scenes updates about the businesses that I'm working on in real time, some personal updates and some tips. They're kind of a change of pace from the other stuff that I usually send out. And so my longtime subscribers really enjoy these emails. I get a lot of feedback on them. But if you're not getting them yet, you can actually get my next one by going to castjam.com slash Friday notes. That's Friday dash notes. I'll connect with you soon. Thanks for tuning in today.